Hi, my name is Jim Harder, co-author of the book, It's the Manager, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Hi, this is Bill Ringle, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Jim Harder. Jim is chief scientist of Workplace for Gallup. He's led more than a thousand studies of workplace effectiveness, including the largest ongoing meta-analysis of human potential and business unit performance, the best-selling author of 12, The Elements of Great Managing, Well-Being, The Five Essential Elements, and Harder has also been published in articles in many prominent business and academic journals. He's here today to talk about It's the Manager, a comprehensive tome of practical insights from research based on Gallup's research in the field and talk about how to apply this management research in your business. Welcome, Jim. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you today. It's a pleasure to have you. I'm really looking forward to getting into the content of the book. And before we do, what I'd like to ask you, who in your life growing up has influenced or inspired you? And I ask that because I find that with all people who are high performers and focused on advancing knowledge, they're always, you can look back and always find people who have encouraged or offered a word of support or a direction or given them a break early on. When you look back, who's the one person who stands out for you in that respect? Well, I've got, you know, I've had a number of people in my family that have been in public service. And I just kind of point to, you know, I had a grandfather that was a sheriff and he would do different things with, uh, the prisoners that he was managing, so to speak. And I remember him once telling me there's something that happened in this person's life that, that affected them along the way. And that kind of got me thinking about people and cause and effect about people a lot. And I think that had a big influence and just watching my different grandparents and family members, you know, public, in a public service environment made a big impression on me. That's a remarkable insight for someone who spends his time dealing with criminals to pass along to a grandson saying that something happened in this person's life along the way as a way of opening the door and saying, you know, this isn't an, a natural path that people take. And it gives you some empathy into that person's situation. Can you think of a way that that understanding had an influence in some decision you made in, in your career or in your life? I think it just made me in general kind of keenly interested in in people and what leads to people making various decisions and what also leads to success. I mean, he, he would uh, take some of these people under his wing and give them work to do. And, and, and I, I could also see from that the value in pursuing something. You know, when people have meaningful work to do, they've, they've got a pursuit that can really make a difference in their, their self-importance. So I think that that kind of led me to think a lot about how people pursue a mission in their life or pursue work and how that can be so valuable. I agree with that. I've, I've found that to be true for myself as well as many others, that when you have a mission and can articulate it and can remind yourself of the mission, it really brings a level of focus and energy 
to your work and your life. Have you found that to be true as well? It really does. You know, um, to give an example, our founder, George Gallup, did a study. It was in the late 50s, early 60s, and I like to read a lot of past research that's been done, but I came across his work when we were doing our well-being research. And uh, so he, he studied people who lived to be 95 plus. He called them the old timers, and he, he looked at the commonalities in people who were highly successful in terms of just longevity, right? And he found they ate smaller meals. They moved around a lot in their work, which, you know, we know a lot today with all this exercise, but they also tended to work until age 80 plus and reported uh, getting a lot of enjoyment and satisfaction from their work. So that also kind of leads you, you know, kind of is an example of how pursuit can just kind of keep you going and, and give you that sense of energy and importance. And I think it also speaks to how, why it's so important that organizations today think beyond just their own workplace, that they think about setting people up for success down the road. Many will just keep working and some may not, but how do we set people up for success so that they can know their strengths and pursue something that does give them energy? Because it's so important, how do you find through maybe the research? I mean, the research certainly backs up the fact that it's significant and it makes a meaningful difference when people connect with their mission and purpose. What are some ways that you've found that businesses and particularly small businesses can help bring that about so that somebody comes in to work as a, a senior manager, director, a, a small business, and there's something there that says, we want you to work, here are the company's goals. We want you also to know what your goals and purposes so that we can have alignment. We want you to bring your whole self to work. And the way to do that is to make sure you're aware of that. And we can bring about that type of synergy that occurs when you're working to achieve company goals. And you also see how it's fulfilling your own personal mission on some level. Yeah, Bill, I think that a lot of times organizations start off thinking, well, we're going to, we're going to set our company goals and then we're going to cascade those goals throughout all levels of the organization. That's important. But I think one thing that gets really overlooked that has a big impact on how engaged people are in their work is whether you involve them in setting their own goals. But if we take it even a step further and think broader than goals, goals, goals can be very specific and they need to be adjusted on an ongoing basis and priorities, so to speak. But if we even think more broadly than that, an organization of any size should have a very clear, clearly articulated mission or purpose about their organization. What are you about? What are you, what are you trying to influence um, beyond your own organization? And people should be able to take that and, and remember it top of mind, um, what the organization is about. And then as a manager of an individual to help them think about how their work connects to that broader purpose, it brings, um, again, a lot more of that energy and pursuit into the work. Um, I could even, uh, you know, take, you know, just taking a look at our, our research that we've done more recently across generations and this younger generation of, of workers, one distinguishing factor is that they're looking for work that is connected to a purpose, not just a paycheck. They're looking for a you know broader purpose and impact of, of the work they're doing. And so the more an organization can first articulate their own purpose in a very clear, succinct way, I'm not talking about, you know, a paragraph on a wall, but an actual, you know, a sentence or two that says what you're about. And then secondly, how do you connect your work to that broader purpose? 
Jim, we all know examples of companies that do that. They have the exercise, they create the words, but it's not really brought to life within the organization. I'm wondering if through your research and you know exposure to different companies, you've found one or two exemplars where you could tell us about one and how they brought that to life. I think they always, every time that I've seen a mission or purpose come to life, you can have the most well-intended mission or purpose in your organization. But unless you have managers that are helping people see how their work connects to that bigger purpose on a regular basis. So your, your mission or purpose. So um, so for one large organization that we had, the multinational organization that we have worked with for, for many years, they've got a very clear mission or purpose about impacting the consumer on a daily basis. And so they've got managers who are thinking with each person about how they're impacting their consumers and the lives of their consumers on a regular basis. And so really it kind of comes down to how managers are doing it every day with the employees at a very local level. It uh, Stating a mission or purpose is one thing, but, but beyond that, it's about what managers do with employees when they're having discussions with their employees about how their work connects and makes a difference in the lives of those employees. And when you think about companies that are doing this well, the reason I, I want to just go one more level deep on this is because it's so important to operationalize the research. As we look back, we have decades of research that tells us exactly how to run a more effective company, how to develop and lead people more effectively, how to produce things to maximize your impact in the marketplace. And yet it's far more common for that not to happen because people don't aren't aware of the fact that the research is out there or don't know how to translate that down into day-to-day conversations. So when we think about connecting the purpose of an organization to our daily actions, what are a couple questions or conversa- elements of conversations that you find really helps managers connect that for everyone on their team? Well, I think you're, um, Bill, you're really right that you know the, the science has been there for a while, but the, the daily practice of managing hasn't matched up to the science. And so when managers are activating a mission or purpose, they have to first do it in a very authentic way. So first they're kind of asking themselves, how do I and my work affect what this organization is about in the, in the end result of the organization? And that can lead to decisions that, that have a lot to do with the integrity of the organization. So if, if everything is, if your North Star is that broader mission or purpose, so for Gallup, it's analytics and advice that, that can change the world, really. Every decision you make every day is about whether or not what you're doing is aligned with that broader mission or purpose. So they may ask their employees, how do you see your work affecting this? So first you've got to put it in front of them, and then you've got to help them see, well, how does your work affect this? And, and to recognize people when their work does affect that broader mission or purpose. So recognition is a big component of that as well. You know, they're they're going to be asking themselves, what are the best practices? How's this lived out? And they're going to be more keen to best practices in the organization, and then describe those best practices more broadly. And then people people start start to see that this is real, and this is really a part of what we're about. 
I love how you go through that description, Jim. It really gives people pause who are listening to our conversation here, thinking about how they compare to that simple structure you just shared. And when they evaluate themselves, I think what's going to dawn on them is that there's a very important role that managers have as coach that is significantly different than being a boss or a manager or a supervisor. So first of all, how would you define the coaching relationship in terms of what makes an effective workplace relationship? Are you there are three main components to coaching? One is how you set expectations and reprioritize continuously. So the role of coaching isn't just delegation. It's about setting expectations and involving the person in setting their own goals. Just that simple step of involvement is important. Second, it's about ongoing conversations that you have with the individual. I'd argue there are five ongoing conversations that every manager should be thinking about with the people that they manage. And then there's an accountability component. So with coaching comes continuous conversations and then some accountability, but the accountability component isn't a surprise to the individual. It's well known throughout because those conversations are happening. You might think about it in terms of the sports analogy. If a coach in the sports world waited six months to a year to give feedback to the people that they're coaching, you can see, you can kind of imagine what that result might be. Right. The annual review. <laughs> right. And so the annual review on the surface kind of makes sense from a process efficiency standpoint, but it just doesn't work in reality or hasn't worked in reality. So it makes sense. We have to review everybody once a year, but the reality of it is when you do that and you don't have the ongoing conversations, you've got a big disconnect. People start to wonder why this uh, person I perceive as a slacker over here got promoted and I didn't, or why are you telling me, you know, asking me questions about my work that you should have been asking me months ago um, when we could have made a, a change to affect the company in a positive way. Most people come to work really wanting to make a difference in their organization and managers uh, as coaches can really facilitate that. Uh, if they think about their, their role more as a facilitator in terms of helping people get their work done effectively, giving them the right kinds of recognition and doing a lot of listening. Which doesn't always fit the perception that people have, especially as a first-time manager. Yeah, I think people many times when they get into the role of manager, they assume it's a primarily a delegation type position. I'm not saying that there isn't some delegation, but the primary role of a manager should be to develop people. Don Clifton, my mentor of 17 years, he's the, the founder of the Clifton Strengths Assessment that many people are familiar with now. He says that the role of an organization shouldn't just be getting work done through people. It should be getting people done through work. And uh, I think if you think about it that way, it kind of changes how you might think of the role of manager. And it kind of describes that boss to coach transition that we think is really important. So I want to uh, just probe into that a little bit. It's not just getting work done through people, but getting people done through work. How far does that view go in terms of the relationship? What does he mean by the phrase getting people done? I think that's fascinating. Yeah. So if you think about your role as the primary role of managing or coaching now is to develop people, then what you do is over time, you, you not only do what's right for that individual and you improve performance at the same time, 
you also build an external brand. One thing we've found more recently is that with social media, the culture of the organization becomes the employment brand because everything goes external so quickly. So that gives you even more incentive to really think about this and how, how you build the right kinds of internal relationships. So you know, getting people done through work mean, first means we've got to get to know each person as an individual. That's the starting point. Many times we get the starting point wrong. If we assume everybody's going to develop in the same way, we've gotten off to the wrong, we're on the wrong starting point. If we assume that everybody's different, then we're in the right place. Now, the next question is, how do we know about these differences? And then so there, there are some shortcuts to doing that. Clifton Strengths assessment is one example of a shortcut. It's a science-based shortcut for people to increase productive conversation by putting some language around how we're different and how we all have different strengths. And that does change conversations a lot. Bill, I can think of examples of we're sitting around the room and before we really understand individual differences, people are you know asking themselves the question, why aren't you more like me? You know, but once you understand that there are different strengths in the room, you start asking a different question, which is how can we leverage each other's strengths to affect an outcome? We we did a study a couple of years ago where our question was, does the distribution of strengths on a team matter more to engagement and performance or or does just awareness of each other's strengths have a bigger impact? And we found that awareness had a much bigger impact. Just people being aware of uh, putting some language around how they're different. So I think the, the, you know developing people and getting people done through work starts with getting to know individual differences. And then a second, it involves understanding each person's aspirations, what they want to get done in their career, and um, then helping them get there. Uh, the number one reason people change jobs right now is is career development, career advancement. And so, um, unfortunately, people aren't seeing that in their own organizations. It's a big opportunity in businesses right now is to help people start to see their future. And we can kind of get into, you know, some things that have gone wrong in that area, too. But I think to you know, just to make the point that we've got to help people see where they can be in the future in the organization so that they don't have to leave the organization to develop. I think that's critically important because given the fact that if you have conversations with a couple hundred employees, you're going to find that a very small percentage of them have a clearly defined vision of what their own future is personally. And then to, to help them develop that vision as where they fit into the organization, how with by adding these capabilities and responsibilities and developing these experiences by handling those responsibilities, it'll help them grow in their role in the organization gives them a vision that they may not even have for their own life or their, you know, their own family or their own outside interests. Do you find that true as well? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, and, and even how you add skills on, and like, as you mentioned, Bill, experiences, how do you add the right skills and experiences to each person? Well, first you have to know what their aspirations are. You have to know what their strengths are. And, um, so how you do that could be a very individual thing. Now, that sounds like a lot of work to be individualizing like that, but that's why the role of manager as coach is so important because it's local. And then the local manager is the only one who's really going to be good at or effective at getting to know each person as an individual. So no matter how, how big your organization is, you've got local, local people managing other individuals and those 
local managers are going to make the biggest difference because they can see what skills each person needs. They can, they know what their strengths are. They know what their aspirations are. And it's, it's very actionable when you think about it that way. Jim, I have a question I would love to get your perspective on. And I, I hadn't even thought of it until just a moment ago. When, when you get to know people, you're going to find out that not all of them aspire to become you know, vice president of the company or a CEO. You're going to find that some people are just really happy being a project manager or really happy being director of regulatory affairs. And they don't aspire. In fact, they will tell you, it will not make me happier to take on more responsibility that involves travel, which involves all these other things that I don't want as part of my experience for their particular time in their life. How do you address that based upon you know being an effective manager and advocate when the company's career path says that people grow in their organization by taking on higher levels of management. But what they want to do is they've found the level that gives them the greatest amount of satisfaction, and they just want to expand in that area. What are some ways that you address that or some insights that you could share to give us a better perspective on that? Yeah, I think, um, again, that speaks to the importance of local level managers as coaches that get to know each person and what their aspirations are. But there's a bigger cultural issue as organizations grow. So maybe you're in a smaller organization now that you intend to grow. As, as you grow it, I think a smaller organization is in a position where they can affect their culture much more easily. And what I mean by culture is if you have a culture where everything, all the reward systems are built around becoming a manager is the next level of advancement which most organizations do, by the way, then that's going to be a problem because one, not everybody has the natural talents to become a manager. And once they get into it, they become frustrated because of the messiness of people that comes with managing all these individual differences or that's not easy work. And so all the reward systems, including uh, pay and recognition are built around becoming a manager. Some of those individuals are going to have a much better career if they are an individual star. So first, we have to recognize that the role of manager has to be to coach. Second, we have to reward individual achiever stars and make sure that they have they get high esteem and recognition in the organization and that people clearly know there's a path to high recognition in the organization becoming a star individual achiever. And third, we've got to have some mechanisms where we know who the next managers, you know, the best next manager candidates are. And that comes in several different forms. One is we've got to give people experiences, man, experience managing others so they can kind of create some self-knowledge around what they're really good at and what they enjoy doing. Many people won't know that they don't like managing people or that it's a burden to them unless they have some experience trying it. And some people won't know that they love it unless they have some experience trying it. But we, we also have some scientific methods where we've studied the, the traits, the innate uh, tendencies of successful managers. And we know we can know kind of ahead of time who's likely to be a really good manager through some of those traits. And again, that saves people a lot of time. Yeah, exactly. So we've got to think of it as a thin slice on an individual to a science-based thin slice to get to know them and what their tendencies are in terms of managing other people. 
But that, that all starts with the, the notion that the primary role of managing has to do with developing individuals. And um, some people aspire for that. Other people don't. So you really encourage and support business leaders who say, we need, say, Joe, who's really valuable because of his knowledge and his problem-solving abilities, yet he's not comfortable managing people. We're going to give him more responsibility in the area as an individual contributor and maybe project manager, and then we're just going to have to identify people who, within his group, might have the success and inclination and aptitude to become a manager and to lead that group. And, you know, surprisingly, if you listen to people, they're probably going to tell you that that's okay. And they would really prefer that versus the more distant view of, well, you have to promote the person who's the most experienced in the organization. Tenure matters. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Bill, the, uh, the top two reasons when we ask people why they became a manager, the top two reasons they give us are first, I was successful in a non-managerial role. And second, my tenure. And while those are two well-intended reasons and they seem rationally appropriate on the surface, they don't correlate with being a successful manager. So we've got to first make it clear. And again, I think these a small business is in a perfect position to get this right before they grow. <laughs> it's much more difficult to, to change the culture of a large organization. It's still, still doable, but you know, you can start to set the tone right away that we've got people in this organization who are going to be exceptional individual contributor stars and will, will be rewarded for it. And we've got other people who are just going to really get a kick out of managing individuals and teams and are going to be really good at that. And um, if you start setting that tone now, then you're going to grow in the right direction and your culture will not have to be corrected later. So, yeah, I, I think that that um, organizations that start setting that tone now will be in a really good position down the road. Jim, are you ready for the mic quest for the best lightning round? Sure. Right. Let's do it. So as a research scientist, you read extraordinary amounts of data and materials and drafts. What's a book that you like to read for pleasure? I uh, really enjoy any book having to do with evolution, how we got to where we are today. I've uh, recently read, it's been out for a while, but I just recently finally was able to read the book Sapiens. Oh yeah. Um, which is a great read, fascinating read. And most of the books I read for pleasure, even though they are related to my work too, <laughs> have, have to do with uh, just kind of understanding human nature and why we are where we are today. What's a book that you found valuable in understanding human nature? There have been a, a number of them, actually. Um, that one I just mentioned was a really good one. I have a, kind of a library of, of different ones here. The Moral Animal was a good one. There, there are some uh, just kind of some history ones around the um, I, I kind of get into some philosophical things, too, like The Evolution of God was a pretty good one uh, by Robert Wright. Good deep read. I like kind of some of the deep deep reads that get you thinking a little differently about the world and life. That's great. I, just from a personal perspective, I love touring people's libraries. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think the range might go from sports books to, to some of the you know deeper meaning of life kinds of things to just kind of fun reads. What's the 
easiest or least expensive change you've made in your personal or professional life in the last six months that's had the biggest payoff? Well, I have uh, gotten pretty stubborn about my quiet time. Still, it doesn't cost anything extra, but I, I map out, I try to map out a day, a week where I can really think and write. I had to do that. Of course, I had to do that a lot more when we're working on this latest book um, in bigger blocks, but I get really disciplined about my time and I'm kind of selfish with some parts of my time because uh, it helps me get to the next level of where I need to be instead of just reacting. I think we can get really easily in our world today into a reaction mode where everything is about just responding. And so some of those proactive steps have been really helpful to me. And Jim, what's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped or eliminated in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? I think it's related to the uh, the last thing that I said, but it, it, it is not always just getting on email and responding to emails to be more disciplined. You've got to be, you know, it's part of our, our jobs to be responsive, but to not let it take over and to, to be responsive, that, that balancing of not letting it dominate your every moment of the day. And so th- there's a discipline about that, I think, that can really work well. I file that under setting expectations. I tell people, (laughs) you can expect me to be responsive within these windows during the week, or certainly I'll respond within 24 hours, but please don't expect it within an hour or two. Yeah, I think that's good. I think you have to set the expectations so that people aren't out there wondering. But I think if you, you know, some of the things we just talked about, if you you actually um, say you're going to do it and you do it, then people are very respectful of it. Yes. And it's taking that proactive stance of setting expectations and then having integrity to honor them, even if it means you have to cut something else off short. I mean, that's being in charge of your day, your time, your life, your attention. Mm -hmm. Jim, let's pull back for a moment. And one of the strong messages that comes through, it's the manager, is that the culture of an organization really starts at the top. What would you suggest for people who are listening to this that say, you know, we haven't really addressed that aspect of the culture. It's not that we don't believe in coaching, we don't believe in listening, but we really haven't made it explicit. What would you suggest might be a way of approaching that in a meeting or operationalizing it so that it actually does become a priority and a distinct facet of an organization's culture? I think, uh, by the way, I'm very passionate about this topic, culture change. It's something that uh, I, I think kind of hit me in the head as we're working on this book in terms of how, how important and, and maybe even some of the simple steps it takes to improve a culture. I don't want to oversimplify it, but one of the areas of impact that we found as we're, st- as we're writing this book and looking at all the research that really surprised me the most was that managers are reporting higher levels of stress and burnout than the people they manage. And changing a culture has a lot to do with whether managers themselves are developing. So we've been talking a lot about how managers should manage to be more like a coach. It's very difficult for them to be that, to do that if they're not being coached. And so when you say it starts at the top, it really does. And culture change means that you've got multiple teams that are working together. Human nature suggests that we, it's easy for us to go us versus them. And so any subgroup in an organization can quickly go us versus them and start pointing fingers. 
managers that are developing connect with other managers. They encourage their team to connect with other teams because they see the bigger picture. So I think one of the keys to culture change is making sure that your managers within your organization are developing themselves, not just developing others. And then that'll be the glue that pulls pulls us together. No matter how, how long you think we've been on this planet as humans, being in these large organizations has been small fraction. We Our brains are built to exist in smaller tribes. And so to, to bring those smaller tribes together, we've got to have managers that are developing in the um, when they're developing, they then think bigger and connect to that bigger purpose that we talked about earlier. I think that's a, a point that as people listen to this, light bulbs are going to go on uh, across the country in people's heads. Oh my gosh, we're not paying attention to our managers. <laughs> <laughs> that might have something to do with the fact you know, that we're having this kind of burnout, we're having this kind of slump, and the way to reinvigorate that is simply to reverse it and to dedicate time and resources to developing skills and developing awareness and helping them develop as people. Yeah, I think that I think that's if I were going to put list everything in terms of high, in terms of priorities on a list, that'd be really high. If I think about change in general across organizations, what would be one other suggestion you'd make to a, a senior director, a senior manager, or CEO who's listening to this in terms of putting on his or her priority list for the next? one or two quarters in order to evaluate and address and support developing the quality of their managers because he or she recognizes how vital that is? I think it's it's really the, the starting point is to think about how you individually coach versus just delegate. Certainly, there's a lot that goes into leadership that includes decision-making, making great decisions, which is a a whole other area around kind of knowing your limits, critical thinking, pulling the right people in to get advice because we all come with biases. But in the end, the best decisions in the world won't get implemented well if, if people aren't, if people don't feel like they're part of the bigger tribe. And so leaders need to be thinking about how they coach as well, how they give recognition, how they know the strengths of each person that reports directly to them. I think leaders have the biggest effect through the cascade that starts with the people they directly manage. So I wouldn't look too much further than, I mean, you've got to think about the whole enterprise, of course, but the whole enterprise initiatives will get implemented through the people that, that you directly manage. And so I'd think first about whether those people are developing, are they getting the right, do you know, do you know them for their strengths first? Are they involved in, in, in their, own, their own goals that are being set within the parameters of what the organization is trying to get done? So I, I, I guess my simple answer would be, think about how you coach um, as opposed to boss. We've tried to outline in the book, there's certainly some uh, areas that are shortcuts to getting that right. It doesn't have to be an uphill battle. Well, Jim, you've shared so many great ideas with me on my quest for the best. I want to thank you so much for starting off and telling us about the influence your grandfather who had as a sheriff who said something happened to this person along the way. And it kind of sparked a curiosity in you that's led to just a, a fabulous career in helping understand specifically what happens to people in order to make them more effective as managers. I want to thank you for making sure that you emphasize that people listening know to emphasize that it's important to listen and understand people as individuals because it's a human need that we have that's becoming more and more pronounced and critical in developing effective workplaces. 
and making sure you understand their strengths and helping them see that their daily actions connect to a larger mission or purpose in helping the organization advance. I, I want to thank you for emphasizing again and again the importance of being a coach as part of being a manager and instead of a boss, but I'm going from boss to coach. And facilitating means listening more rather than telling more, delegating more, asking good questions. Like one of the questions I loved was how can we leverage each other's strengths rather than why do we all have these different strengths, but actually how to use it and apply it to build a stronger organization. Another phrase that will stick with me, and I hope that other listeners also take this to think about further, is how organizations set up reward systems that aren't very effective, as in promoting people to higher ranks of leadership based strictly upon their proficiency as a, an individual contributor and their length of service in the job. There are many, many better ways to do that, and you might get more productivity and greater satisfaction for sure out of people who prefer to continue doing what they're doing, but just doing it in a larger way. That people are messy and that many first-time managers aren't prepared for that messiness. And it's important that organizations think of developing their people. It's not just that we get work done through people, that we get people done through work. I love that phrase. I'll be thinking about that for a long time after this conversation ends. So Jim Harder, for all of these reasons and for contributing with Jim Clifton to writing this book, It's the Manager, I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you very much for having me, Bill. It was a pleasure. And Jim, before we say goodbye, tell me, where is it that people listening can find out more about you and your work? We have an ongoing stream of, of new articles coming out continuously on gallup.com. If you just go to gallup.com, G-A-L-L-U-P. Uh, you can keep up to date on everything we're working on. And we're going to list uh, links to Gallup as well as the different resources we talked about all on your expert interview page. So I look forward to putting that together and sharing that with all of our listeners. Jim Harder, author, co-author of It's the Manager. Thank you so much for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thank you, Bill. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review My Quest for the Best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.